Today, I'd like to share with you my thoughts on the threefold study and its relevance to a chant that we enjoy here at the temple. All is grace. Since I started coming to the temple in January, I've experienced firsthand how the threefold study helps alleviate suffering and that what at first sight seems like harm is in fact grace. The threefold study consists of cultivating the spirit, inquiry into human affairs and universal principles, and choice in action. For this talk, I'm going to focus on cultivating the spirit, which in practical terms means meditation in all its various forms we learn here. In the principal book of One Buddhism, Cultivating the spirit is broken down into three sections, which are its importance, its objective, and its consequences. I'm going to use my experience over the last year as an example of the transformation that can occur if we follow the practice of cultivating the spirit. The teachings say that cultivating the spirit means nourishing that spirit which is clear and round, calm and tranquil, by internally letting go of a tendency toward discrimination and a penchant toward attachment and externally not being enticed by distracting sensory conditions. We tend to think of this distraction as coming from desires and other external things that we consider pleasurable and that will make us happy. But in a way, that desire for pleasurable things is born from a fear that without them we will be unhappy. I know for myself that I am also attached to unpleasant things. These are born from false beliefs that originate in childhood. For example, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve love, or I'm a bad person. These core beliefs lead to very unpleasant sensory conditions that, as the first line of the essential dharmas of daily practice reminds us, cause disturbances in the mind, such as depression and anxiety. And because, on a subconscious level, I believe these falsehoods, I seek out evidence to prove those beliefs are true. I create all kinds of false stories in my mind that because they are founded on these core beliefs, I simply just cannot let go of them. Rather than being willingly attached, it's more like being unwillingly stuck. My disturbed mind leads to delusions, the second line of the essential dharmas of daily practice. And those delusions lead to wrongdoings, the third line of the essential dharmas of daily practice. It wasn't until I started writing this talk that I realized that the first three lines of the essential dharmas of daily practice are not separate, 
but rather the order in which our minds get caught up in the illusion of self. Exactly a year ago today, that cascade of disturbance to delusion to wrongful action landed me in the hospital. I physically injured myself due to extreme anxiety that had been building during the previous week. I had to have exploratory surgery to confirm I hadn't done any serious damage. And after three days on the medical observation, I arrived on the crisis stabilization unit, which was a psychiatric ward in the same hospital. This would be my home for the next three weeks. All is grace? Really? If that were true, I certainly couldn't see it. But seeds were being sown that would lead me to realize that yes, all is grace. Indeed, some of the seeds sprouted while I was still in the hospital. I realized I must work through my social anxiety that was largely responsible for my isolation of the past few years and get out there and meet people, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. After my release from the hospital, I spent the next month at home learning how to manage anxiety and generally just resting before going back to work in the new year. On the 3rd of January, I got an email from the temple. I attended some online services and offerings during lockdown, but to be honest, had forgotten about the temple, and I hadn't paid much attention, if any, to the emails that occasionally arrived. But this email invited me to take a look at a video showing all the things that the temple had done during 2022. As I started to watch it, my immediate reaction out loud was, wow, look at all those people. I must go there. And I did. That very evening, in fact. It was my first Tuesday night meditation. And it was my first Wong Gong lullaby during lying down meditation. I already had a meditation practice of sorts, but it was very patchy and ineffective. I simply wasn't doing my work. I lacked the necessary direction and support of a teacher and a community. All that changed that night. I built up my meditation stamina steadily and by April, I was cultivating my spirit for 30 minutes, twice a day, every day. I understood the importance of the practice, but what of its objective? The principal book of One Buddhism says, through their distress and idle thoughts and their wrath and anxiety, they may become weak of nerve, lose touch with reality, or in the most extreme of cases, some might even commit suicide. Therefore, our aim is to engage in cultivation that nurtures our autonomous power by removing this desire that spreads its tendrils widely and attaining 
a sound spirit. Autonomous power? One dictionary definition of autonomous is freedom from external control. Does that mean stop letting external events trigger my false beliefs about myself? And in doing so, be able to see those beliefs for what they are? Well, I'm pleased to report it did exactly as promised on the can. By mid-year, my anxiety had all but gone, as to who had my depression. I was engaged socially, especially here at the temple. My performance at work greatly improved. And for the first time in my life, I had established some roots and some wonderful connections. So what are the consequences according to the teachings? If we continue the work of cultivating the spirit for a long time, our spirit will become as solid as iron or stone. And in applying ourselves to the myriad sensory conditions, autonomous power will arise in the mind and ultimately we will gain the power of cultivation. I can see that happening. In August, as I reflected on the effect that my meditation practice was having on me, I had a striking realization. The growth I had experienced and the peace that I had found could not have come about had I not been in the hospital. I realized what grace is, and I realized that what happened last year was grace. All of it was grace. Perhaps one of the most powerful things that happened this year was after I'd been coming to the temple for about a month. I looked forward to bowing to people with palms together. What a joyful way to greet people. One morning, as I entered my bathroom to have a shower, I surprised myself by looking in the mirror, smiling and bowing to me. <laughs> Remember those false beliefs? For most of my life, I avoided looking at myself in a mirror. I certainly did not like seeing myself smiling, either in a mirror or in photographs. But now, every morning, there I am. Big smile on my face as I bow and silently say, Hello, John. I also notice something else in the mirror. The scars from my injury and the surgery. Those have almost faded. But the power of greeting myself each morning continues to grow. Each bow to myself and others nourishes my spirit. Let's summarize the teaching of cultivating the spirit. Importance. Nourishing that spirit, which is clear and round, calm and tranquil, by internally letting go of a tendency toward discrimination and a penchant toward attachment, 
and externally not being enticed by distracting sensory conditions. Objective. Our aim is to engage in cultivation that nurtures our autonomous power by removing this desire that spreads its tendrils widely and attaining a sound spirit. Consequence. If we continue the work of cultivating the spirit for a long time, our spirit will become as solid as iron or stone, and in applying ourselves to the myriad sensory conditions, autonomous power will arise in the mind, and ultimately we will gain the power of cultivation. So now, please bow to your friend next to you and nourish your spirit. <laughs>